We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Trying to tell everybody for years, but people are finally finding out what Arsenal fans have said is true. Spurs are shit. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. What do we think of Tottenham? Shit. What do we think of shit? Tottenham. Now what does everybody think of Tottenham? Shit. Because they're acting like shit. And now they're trying to walk it back, but they still look like shit. All that and more. We're going to be talking about football, and that's what football is. It's really basically just talking about how shit Tottenham are. We're going to talk about Arsenal players being asked to give their money back so that Stan doesn't you know, go homeless. Um, I wouldn't want that to happen. All kidding aside, we'll, we'll sort of have a nuanced debate about that. We'll talk about when football's going to come back. And one other topic that we're actually going to start with, but I'll save it. That's called a tease. I just want to say I hope everybody's safe and healthy, and happy, and doing okay. I know the longer the stretch is on, the harder it gets, and we all miss the football, and we all miss regular life, and we're not going to have that back anytime in the near future, but we have each other, and uh, I just want to say that we appreciate you, and I hope that you are doing well. Uh, We'll have some Patreon stuff coming up this week if you're over there, Uh, and if you're not, no big deal, but we are going to do a FIFA tournament that I'm going to do live commentary on. I've been trying to figure out the tech side of that, uh, and I think I have it sorted out, which means uh, 2023, that will definitely happen. In any event, Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. I'll pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim's on Twitter at Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Okay, guys, we got to get to the hot news. The, the most important thing uh, right from the top. Paul, I'll start with you. Um, I think we need to really just have a considered opinion on what's happening with this because sometimes people come out with statements and they give their idea about something and we have a quick sort of visceral reaction and sometimes you need to take a beat, take a breath, analyze it, and really look at, at 
the credibility of what's been said and the analysis of what's been said. So with that sort of caveat in place, Alex Awobi was asked to name the five best players he has played with in his career, and he said Santi Cazorla, Glenn Kamara, Chuba Akpom, Mesut Ozil, and Francis Coughlin in that order. How do you respond to this? What? I, <laughs> I mean, what, what do you even do with something like that? Well, he got Santi Cazorla in there, so... <laughs> he just hoped nobody was listening after that. <laughs> this story is starting to have some legs. Mm. So, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Santi could take up the first five spots and, like, mess at Ozil on a good day. Are we talking about a good day or not? I, I mean, look, I'm fine with mess at Ozil, but the guy played with Alexis Sanchez, Aaron Ramsey, uh, uh, um, Koscielny. I can't even remember the names of <laughs> Arsenal players anymore. Um, I see where and, this and is named, coming from now. Glenn, Glenn Kamara, Chuba Akpom. It's the Francis Coughlin thing that's got me, Paul. You know that's where I, where I got hung up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's the Alexis Sanchez thing that's got you all riled up. But, but uh, yeah, but, I mean, does this make uh, you seasoned feel... with a little Francis Coughlin? Yeah, that's a really weird choice. This is a guy who but... had trouble making decisions in the final third, and now can we just conclude that like decision making extends far beyond that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, yeah, he wasn't very good at the tracking back thing too. So uh, perhaps that explains uh, his his desire to have Francis Coquelin in the mix cover his ass. But yeah, it's it's hard to fathom that one. I will grant you. Don't know what more to say. Uh, he might have been on substances. I don't know. Maybe it's all getting to him. This isolation. You know, we had a little chat beforehand. I was worried about it. Couple of you, Tim, with his conspiracy theories. Um, Clive seemed to be slowly losing it. Um, you, we haven't seen for a, a while. I hear those words: your hair's grown long, your fingernail. You got all Howard Hughes on us. So uh, I think there might be a little of that with Alex Awobi here. That makes no sense. But hey, you got Santi Cazorla, so we'll give him some points for that one. Yeah. Can I give you a little theory on, on, on why he chose those players? I mean, do you Only want to give because... me a toxicology report? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, I'll give you a little theory. Only because my, my nephew is in the same um, academy year as a Iwobi for six years. So, And I do know that Chu Bratbom was also in that academy year. And I do know that Chu Bratbom was the best academy player we'd seen in the history of mankind for about five years. So that may have influenced why he chose Chu because they were... Tuba was the star of that group and he was one everyone thought was going to make it and he won't be nearly got released about eight times and then he eventually is the one that went the furthest so if sometimes people have an impression on you when you're young and same for Dan Kamara by the way but yeah just a little theory there but the others I can't explain Tim do you um do you want to just basically end this conversation by saying it looks like we made the right call to move him on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what he's done is he's picked his mates, right? Pretty yeah, much. Exactly. I mean, I don't know how well he got on with Francis Cochran or um, or even Mesut Ozil. I mean, I mean, Ozil's a, a fair enough pick, really, isn't it? Particularly, but I mean, particularly like because players see other play, players training as well, and and a lot of them um, will form, you know, quite understandably because it's a bigger data set. They'll form opinions of players based on what they see in training. I, I'm sure he's just mates with Glenn. Mc Kamara, I know he's mates with Chubarak Pom, so um, yeah, I, I, I think that would explain those two. But um, yeah, the Cochlan one, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he he just thought, uh, look, maybe he just really rates him and he thinks he's great, and that's that's fine. Mm. So now that we've got that out of the way, 
We can get on to the less important, lighter stuff. Clive, when is football coming back? <laughs> um, coming back in Germany, isn't it? They're already training together. Uh, but Germany are a sensible co- country, and they've they've nailed it on the testing, and they've nailed it on the isolation, and they've um, They're done all the about work the process, aren't they? <laughs> and guess what? They've been quite efficient with their process, Paul. You know, and, um, and they are back training as groups. And I think they're intended to play behind closed doors in early June, I believe. But that could obviously change depending on how things go. But they seem to have a clear plan. And it sort of highlights to us, really. It sort of hit me the other day, actually, when well, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, when when Arsenal came up with the pay cuts till you know for basically a season. It sort of dawned on me, and maybe I've just been a bit stupid, but it dawned on me that we're not going back to the stadium for a long time. You know, football may come back. We won't be there with hot dogs in our hands watching it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. uh it's a it's a problem. It's something that's just sort of hit me. I can't see a scenario where we're gonna have sixty thousand people in close contact with each other in a football stadium again for this calendar year. And you tell me if I'm wrong, right? So um I can't see a scenario given where vaccines are, given the fact that where they have to be tested, for example, to understand how long side effects will take and distribution to billions of people, 7 billion worldwide. How's that manufacturing going to be ramped up, even if we find a vaccine by September, October this year? So how are we going to get to a place where, with a disease which can be asymptomatic, how can we get to a place where we talk about testing people maybe 500 to 1,000 a day in, this, in, in the UK? We need to we need to get tens of millions tested. I mean, we just not we're not in that situation where football, the way we used to watch it, is going to come back in in the near term. And, and this leads into what you know. There's a panic going on. I'm sure we can talk about it. There's a panic going on about how long we're going to miss out on this match day revenue. And uh, I think it's going to be a significant period of time. And it's, I find that, especially people that go to games, like Tim, for example, regularly is a big part of their cadence of their life. Uh, that's incredibly depressing. And also the product, just watching it, um, we all watch games and we look, we all look at the back of the screen and we all look at the crowd and reactions and the sound. It's all part of it. It's all part of the experience. And um, I think we're going to be watching a sanitized virtual, virtual game for a long time. We'll still debate it. But I think we're going to have to adjust ourselves massively about mm. what that experience is going to look like. Well, if you're one of those people who's inclined to say that Arsenal fans are the worst in the world and that the reason the team struggles is because the Arsenal fans suck, you're you're probably going to find out if your theory was right because presumably Arsenal should win the league if it's all behind closed doors. I, I think this is an incredibly challenging thing to try to pull off, though, because what happens if one team gets one player, their star striker, and tests positive? then that player has to be quarantined. Well, as we know, by the time they test positive, it could be too late. So what if 10 of the players have it? Does that team just sit out for a few rounds of play? Do they have to field whatever academy kids can play? Does the team they just played against have to sit out and quarantine? I think trying to devise a strategy for this to work until there's vaccines or you know massively observed elimination of the virus, I just don't know how you how you go back to playing because you know the, you can wind up with a situation where one team that's you know three points off the title 
gets two players that test positive, and then they're not allowed to play for a month, and you're right back where you started. I mean, uh, Clive, do you mind if I if I get some other views on this, or do you want to just quickly chime chime back in? Only only I'll just touch it. Maybe some of the other guys may have, may have read what I've read, but they are talking about um, having specific um, environments where they're biologically controlled. Players stay in hotels for a period of time, almost like a tournament style, which means all the support staff, all the playing staff, all the coaching staff will literally be isolated to play football matches. When they talk about using St George's yeah. Park, etc. But, so but someone's going to get it, right? That. I mean, it's just someone. You know, a, a cook is yeah. going to get it, or a you know a a, a driver is going to get it, or you know a, a, yeah. a room cleaner is going to get it, and it, one of the players will get it, and one of the teams will get it, and then. And then what? And, you know, I'm not saying they're going to die or anything. I'm not trying to be that more, but I'm just saying, like, then they can't play. Or the team they yeah. just played against can't play. So I, I, Sports Illustrated did an article, and I have to admit, like, you know, they're, they're not medical professionals. They did an article about why sports isn't coming back anytime soon and the challenge with trying to bring it back. And, you know, I do think there's also the point that just, what are you playing for? At the point that you're doing it in front of empty stadiums just to put something on TV... Do you have a product anybody even wants to watch? Do you have authenticity to the product? Do you have, are you recreating the the sport? Because really it's home in a way that makes a difference in sports. So, or specifically in football. So have you really recreated anything? Should you create a knockout tournament that's just sort of a one of its kind coronavirus era, you know, sort of super knockout tournament just for fun? Because trying to play a league season to me doesn't, doesn't make any sense because you're not recreating a league season so tim i mean in your mind realistically when could it come back and what what way would you if they were trying to do it sooner without fans to you does that even make any sense and recreate anything anybody wants or should that should they come up with sort of an, an interim alternative yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it because um i mean first of all at the, at the very outset um of, of of all of this and by the i guess by the very outset i don't quite mean the very outset i mean uh when it became a reality like for me locally in london the whole like lockdown thing um i thought to myself if <clears throat> if if i enter a football stadium before again in 2020 i'd consider that an amazing result um and and if anything probably at the time with my absolute zero knowledge about any of this sort of thing I probably thought in my mind, well, yeah, that seems like maybe a reasonable target, actually. Like, on one hand, I think I was just trying to steal myself for the long term um, because I I just didn't see any way, like, you know, for all the reasons you just pointed out that that it could come back quickly. Um, But actually, I've I've I have. I've revised that mentally now and I'm I'm thinking like any time in inside 12 months would be an amazing result and mm. and I'd take it and uh, and like you I, I read that sports illustrated article and you know I, I've been thinking for some time uh, they, they'll probably devise some way of doing it behind closed doors just because just for the sake of a getting it done b getting the broadcast money and c just fucking finishing this season and getting over with but you know I hadn't really given it that much thought until i saw the article and basically which really like if you haven't read it yet i i'd advise reading it it actually refers to nfl and nba um, and not football in in particular but i think the same thing holds that basically first of all you have to get all of these different parties to agree to like quarantine themselves for two weeks and then go to you know this 
quarantine zone for, for for like four to six weeks to finish the season which i think is exceptionally unlikely but but like you say it's it's so delicate and it's such a house of cards it's just very difficult to see how that could happen um and yeah and and basically and until there's a vaccine i can't think of a way um for football to come back i just can't and obviously that sets off all the questions about well what the hell are football clubs going to do you know for the next 12 months without any income whatsoever um and you know also that there would be there would be a very serious moral dilemma even if you thought you could pull something like that off I think a lot of people would rightly say, well, hang on, you've developed enough testing because you'd have to test everyone like every day in this like quarantined Premier League super planet that you've created. And I think a lot of people would look and say, well, how 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 come like all this testing is being used for Premier League footballers like to this extent and this volume? Like there, there would be a very serious moral quandary about that, I think, even if it was practical. Um, and and that's and and I want to separate that from because I think a lot of people have kind of been saying and I get it they've been saying oh this shouldn't even be talked about it's immoral because of what's going on but it's kind of like well look the Premier League is like any other business it has to try and play it has to a try and survive this period just like any other business that hasn't already gone to the wall. And B, you know, it, it's a massive employer, the Premier League, and it's not just an employer of highly paid footballers. It, it, it employs all football clubs, uh, employ all manner of staff. And so the clubs in the league has a responsibility, even if you think it's all vacuous and horrible and meretricious and all of that. I, it I, has a I, responsibility. I knew two of the three words. You want, you want to help me with meretricious? Can we, Meretricious is like um, it's like when something he made that one up. <laughs> it's it's when it's like a bit gaudy, you know. Like if, ah, if someone okay. wears like a pink and orange suit um, with bells and whistles on it, that mm. might be described as meretricious. Okay. But even if I you, knew th- vacuous, if you think I'll that, like, that yeah. <laughs> a lot of clubs third strips. Sorry, are Paul, we got we got to yes. stop. We're going to get yelled at for interrupting Tim. He was on a roll. Go for it, Tim. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but even. Even if you think all of that, football clubs employ all manner of people and therefore the Premier League has an absolute responsibility to try and keep those people in work anyway. And, you know, ultimately, I I completely understand if people don't care about this stuff at the moment, in which case you can just ignore it. And it's not like the Premier League are doing like what the government are doing and having like daily press conferences telling everyone that they're having these talks in private. And people are kind of leaking details and journalists are extracting details because there's some level of interest. And if, you know, people that don't share that interest don't have to, they can just ignore it. But anyway, that that aside, how all of this, you know, and, and I, I read a, a really good piece by Gab Marcotti as well that was talking about, you know, the prospect of cancelling the season, which I've been dead against for sporting integrity reasons. But actually, he made some really good points about, like, you know, it's fine for the Premier League to go off and play behind closed doors and collect their broadcast money. That's not an option for the Championship and League One and League Two and the National League and all of that. They can't afford to do that and they don't have the broadcast income to back it up. So, yeah, you finish the Premier League, but who the hell... And, and what about all these teams in, like, mid-table in League One? Like, they'll lose money if they go and play football games behind closed doors. So why would they want to do that? Um, and so there's going to have to be probably a creative solution for finishing the season unless 
like we just pick it back up in 12 months time it might you know we we might just have to say well look next march we'll just play all the games we were supposed to play this march and yeah i mean how and when it comes back i mean well rather until there is a vaccine and um it's been widely enough distributed and you think about like european competitions and stuff like that i mean i think um you know unrestricted travel is is off you know is off the cards for for quite a while so how you do the champions league and the europa league and things like that um i've got no idea maybe those things will end up in china um you know who knows but um what whatever whatever it's going to be and i'm I am curious and I'm fascinated because whatever it is that ends up happening is going to be mind blowing because it's just going to be something completely different that we've never seen before. And were I a marketing creative of some sort, um, I'd probably look at this as a massive opportunity to try and to try and come up with an idea because you could get paid if, if, if you have it. Yeah, I mean, you know what I think is part of the problem is here, Tim and, and Paul, this is maybe something we can talk about theoretically and really just get up our own our own butts for a minute here. Um, why do we play sport? Why do we have sport? You know, I think there is a tendency to think it's important who won the league. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these let's get it going again things are sort of like, well, we've got to have a winner. We got, we got to do it. To like, let's be clear about something. Who wins a, a, a football league isn't important. It doesn't matter. Like, this is entertainment. This is done so people can have fun watching it. It's, it yes, it is a results-based business, but ultimately, if it wasn't fun, and let's be honest, football isn't fun, so why do we watch it? <laughs> but, you know, it used to be fun. I mean, if it's, if it's not fun, who cares? And I guess what I'm saying is, like, there is a, a self-importance to a league thinking it matters who won the league. Like, okay, fine, play some stupid behind-closed-doors games so you can officially hand Liverpool a title, like... If it's that important, just tell them they won the title. Like I, I think you're sort of getting it wrong here if you think that the outcome is a reason to go do something dumb. So, Paul, like, what is the right reason to reopen? Is it is is the right reason to do it to just be able to say you completed a season? Like, what should the criteria be for them even considering doing this again? Um. So you raise a lot of good questions, and I think this whole thing raises a lot of good questions. Because a lot of people are asking to themselves with all this spare time in their hands that they would otherwise be plowing into football. Uh, apart from asking what should they do right now with all this time in their hands, they're thinking, why did I spend all that time on football before? Yeah. Um, and it makes you evaluate things. So it would be very interesting to see if people snap back to what they did before. But I would strongly disagree with I, I mean i i fully respect the the viewpoint you laid out there in terms of it making you evaluate what's important and that football's trivial and blah 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 but it's not um and, and there are times when i haven't appreciated this but football is not trivial it's an integral part of of culture of society of the ways people connect and when you take that away it's like, well, what is important if football isn't important? It it leads you, like the philosophers have come up with the existentialism, abs absurdism. When you pull away a value system, you you it's kind of like you remove religion. Oh, well, that'll be fine. We'll all just come up with our own values. Uh, we'll all just do the right thing. But 
religion in the center of a culture has served uh, a, now I'm not particularly religious these days I'm, I'm not a big god guy this is good this is going in a good place that I definitely want the pod to go so definitely let's let's go good, down good. this path as much as possible so, so <laughs> but analogous to suddenly removing religion from the center of a culture you pull football out of the center of, center of a culture um, we don't even begin to understand the values it espouses. Look at the upset and the arguments we get into in what's in terms of uh, what's fair play and what isn't fair play. And we ha- just have this cultural understanding of what's fair. And when you think about football, we have weird ideas about what's fair, like playing to the whistle or mm-hmm. what you can get away with. But we do actually have a line in our own minds about what's moral and what's fair, what's a fair tackle. I mean, you can take a guy out, even though it breaks the rules of of, of soccer, of football. Uh, you take a guy down. We all think that's a good foul. You just can't try and break his leg. But you can go in hard. So football plays a role in the center of this debate of morals, of culture, of connection, of of how we relate to each other. It brings people together. We talk to people from all over the world, like you and me and Tim and Clyde. The only reason we're talking is football. We wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't have a reason to talk to each other without football. And like it's fine for a while, but something has to fill that gap. And eventually football will come back in and fill the gap. What's, what's interesting is it puts a spotlight on how football is changing. Um, and, and the important, like the big one is football without a stadium, without a crowd, without the supporters, without the connection between fans. What is that? Is it just a way to see the, like, it could serve a purpose to see our way to the end of the season so we can actually get a proper season going with people back in the the stadiums, in the crowds, uh, supporting the team, connecting. Because without that, it's nothing. I mean, the idea of Germany finishing their league with, uh, you know, empty stadiums, okay. It's a function to get on to when they'll actually fill their stadiums again. So, uh, uh, uh you know, what? what is anything in life? We're not all just here to earn a crust, feed our kids, move on and die. It, this is the stuff of life. And you don't appreciate it till they take it away. Yeah. And I mean, it is weird. We've touched on this before, Paul, but like, you know, the whole opiate of the masses thing, like there, there are a lot of things we need in our life to keep us from just over-focusing on or... Um, getting excessively concerned about or fixating on the other things. I mean, all of us have issues, you know, health, the health of our family, you know, raising children, economic concerns, job stresses, relationship stresses, um, you, you know, losing weight, gaining weight, whatever the case may be. But, you know, these other things that we that we have in life, like sport, become things that we pour ourselves into. And in some ways, they they become a bit of a catharsis for those other issues. And, you know, if you ever wonder why people express such strong opinions on Twitter and get outraged at a player, do this or that, maybe consider what they're going through in the rest of their life and that it, it's actually healthy for them to be releasing it on football. Um, I, I have a little more on that, but but Clive, it sounds like you um, you have a, a follow-up. No, there, so you, you, you were going in a very similar direction where I was thinking, really. 
if you look, I always look at life in almost like we all have pillars running through our life, strong pillars, and they may be work, maybe family, or relationships. You know, for me, fitness, for example, I'm not very fit. Um, you know, but but also football, sport was a big pillar in my life, right? So, and those pillars almost I call them like your five constants, right? They and they're individual to you. Right? So, the five things that really are your life balance. And football and sport and how I consume sport and how I analyse sport and, and teach sport is a big part of my life balance. So what this period has done is made us all look at our pillars right, and what we can do. And it's going to be interesting to see how we revert and what what our new pillars become. At the moment, a lot of people are doing exercise, more exercise, because we can do that. You know, I work from home and I look out my window. I've seen people walking who should not be wearing a tracksuit. I'll tell you that for nothing. Who've never walked, you know, but they're but they're doing it. I've, I've seen people walking with their wives. I've never seen their wives before, right? And that's in 15 years of living in where I'm actually living. So it's changing our structures. It's changing what we care about. But there are people where you spoke about what does football mean? And Paul really touched on a great point there saying, will it mean the same? And I can always remember the time when I really realised what football means to people. Uh, Tim will have his own various stories. We all have our own stories. But during my youth, I grew up and I, I went to watch um, Glasgow Rangers a lot in Scotland. Just, I like taking football to different countries, etc. So I met some people on the holiday. I used to love Ian Durant and Mark Waters playing for Rangers back in the day. And I went to watch a few games. And then I actually went to a, uh, a few Celtic games, old firm games. I, I went abroad to watch Rangers and I watched them in Champions League. But I also went to a a cup final and I saw how they consumed football up there an old firm cup final and then what it means and what it means religion wise and what it means to be a Rangers man or a Celtic man and it dawned on me that there are many many millions of people that are absolutely defined by the team they support it is their life it is everything they haven't got five pillars they've got one or two do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it really is everything. And I think those people right now are, are really hurting. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been to orange marches. I've seen people absolutely defined to a team and a way of life and a way of being. And when you see that, you realize it. You think, oh, my God. I mean, I love the game, but not like that. Do you know what I mean? Not yeah. like that. Wenger like, was always great about talking about this, wasn't it? Wasn't it the importance of football in people's lives? And like that's when you think of a guy with a a moral and philosophical approach, the respect he always held for football in the importance of of people's lives. And you just got a feeling that he got that from his community, from his town, uh, from the Strasbourg area, the importance and the central role that football played in a community that wasn't always so religious in France. Hmm. Great point. Great point. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, I mean, let me just ask you personally, because I think you're someone who has a very personal connection with this issue, you know, vis-a-vis the extent to which you go to games. I mean, do you want to, not to just make this all about you, but let's make it all about you. Like, maybe you can (laughs) sort of be an avatar for the match-going fan in terms of like, let's say next month they said, you have to wear a mask, but the stadiums are open. Like, I guess, what would it take for you for them to get your business back, for them to get you back in the ground? Like, when, mm. as someone who's made this their life, I'm guessing that you're going to have a greater, less elasticity than some people. Um, 
when would you go back? Yeah, that's an interesting question. That's something um, uh, my wife and I have discussed recently. Like we were talking about even when all of this is over, right? When are people going to be confident enough to go to crowded shopping centers and cinemas and things like that? Um, I mean, I imagine that there'll be a phased reintroduction of things like that. And I was reading something, you know, in China, they're now really trying to get people to go shopping because all the shopping malls are open, but nobody's going to them, um, which I imagine is part because of the financial kind of effects, but, um, you know, partially because people are scarred by the idea of gathering. I mean, so, I mean, for me personally, I, um, I wouldn't pay it too much mind in, uh, and that's not just because like, I'm a junkie for football. Like I, I'll be honest, I've, I've been all right during this period. I really have. Um, of course I've missed it, but it hasn't been like absolutely desperate. And I suspect it's just a little bit because to be honest, um, I think I've expressed on this podcast many times before, there are a few things that were pissing me off about it, uh, vis-a-vis kind of television broadcasters changing kickoffs and blah, blah, et cetera, um, old, old ground that I don't want to cover again. Um, but also, I, I guess, and, and here's here's where my answer slightly changes. I've got some, I've got other things going on in life at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so baby, like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in July. So, you know, like me and Debs were to, were talking about today, and we were like saying, let let's say like by some absolute miracle, they just said, ah, oh, um, COVID's gone. Um, it's all gone. Off you go. Like we were saying, yeah, until late July, I'm not fucking doing anything <laughs> at all because, you know, and, until that baby's born uh, and, and you know, even afterwards, um, you know, it, it's it's a bit like, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything to endanger that. And I was even, you know, talking about like, when do I get on a train again and go back into central London? I mean, in my mind, I've written that off until um, paternity leave comes in in in, in July for me. So um, I I think like for me I I still think it will be a case as of as as soon as it's kind of good to go. And if it means like wearing a mask and gloves and stuff, then yeah, fine. I'd do that. I'd maybe not do it for every single game. And again, that decision would be informed by stuff I have going on in life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I'm, I might just take like a more relaxed view to it and say, well, do you know what? I don't have to go to every game anyway. And if we come to a stage where, you know, they they cap stadium attendances and things like that, they might have to do things anyway, like say, do you know what? We can only fill the stadium up like for 20,000 each time. So there might well be some kind of like roulette involved anyway. They might say, well, look, you know, um, these season ticket holders, you can't go this week, I'm afraid, because we're only allowed so many people in the stadium. So I, I imagine a lot of things about it are going to change anyway. Um, don't get me wrong. Like the the first, you know, the first um, sweet, sweet hit, I will want to be there yeah. front and center. Um, after that, you know, I, d- I don't know. Maybe I'll be like, well, do you know what? I, I can do without this for three weeks or something or you know quite frankly i i kind of work at the women's games as well um and and you know i might say well that that's a kind of I, i've started to think this anyway that's kind of a nicer environment and you know it's like 
1500 people instead of 60,000 and they're not all thoroughly miserable to be there and hate everyone and and, and everything and you know it, uh, there there are a number of directions I think I could go um that I might have gone anyway um to be honest uh, before all of this happened but um yeah I I think in answer to that the the, the first time like yeah, like let me through the fucking doors, no matter what. But uh, but after that, I'm I might take a more relaxed view on it. Mm. Um, Paul, before we move on to just remind everybody that Spurs are shit, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in our own our own home. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean like specifically your home, and I don't mean specifically your boudoir, and I don't mean specifically anything of a. Uh, sort of private and personal nature. I mean, at Arsenal. No worries there. Although you can share that if you want. Um, so the players have been asked to yeah. to take a, a pay cut, and basically they balked at it. Some seemed like they were willing to do it, some weren't. I have some fairly strong opinions on this, only because I find it's best in life to only ever have strong opinions on anything. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious to get your take on what, what's been asked of them, whether it was appropriate to ask them that, uh, whether the player's reaction was right. I mean, this is this is complicated and it needs to be unpicked, I think, a piece at a time. So you want to take a first stab at it? Well, it, first, it's it's refreshing to ha- to be able to get all wound up about dumb stuff again, <laughs> football-related-wise, to take your life off real problems yep. real people have. Uh, but hey, here's here's two bunches of rich people with loads of money squabbling over how they divide the spoils um so there's one part of me that says you know that's kind of other people's problems uh you down with opp yeah you know me elliot yeah yeah you know me mm-hmm. um so it's like it's nice to have other people's stupid stuff the soap opera of football to to get all riled up about um, but on the other hand, it affects our club, and eventually we're going to care going forward how much money we have. There are clubs who will be in a better position to handle this and clubs who will be in much, much worse position to handle it. I think Sheffield United have something like 100, 170% of their revenue is spent on wages. In other words, they're way overpaying their play, their players. I think that massively impacts this the structure of this discussion at the moment is not really specific. The current discussion isn't really an Arsenal discussion. It's a league-wide discussion, even though it's it's club to club. Uh, everybody's got a very similar starting point across the club. So who knows where this discussion will go in the end? This is kind of the opening gambit. I hope it's done in the right spirit. Uh, there's talk about you know taking care of existing employees as part of this overall negotiation so that uh, beyond the players and the playing staff, the staff of the club are taken care of. And with the huge amounts of money we're talking about, that obviously is something that the club and the supporters and the players should all be able to get behind. Whatever the answer is, it should not be furloughing half the club uh, on minimal on minimal or no wages, so that needs to be a portion of it. But absolutely, so like the fundamental disagreement seems to be at the moment uh, whether they defer uh, payments and wages or whether the players take a cut. And just my personal opinion, the players need to take a cut, and everybody. Oh, good! Who gets something paid, to argue about. <laughs> yeah, 
They absolutely need to take a cut. Yeah, I totally disagree. And the executives <laughs> at the club need to take a cl- cut. And anybody earning above paying their mortgage and the grocery bills should take some kind of con- cut and it should scale. Mesut Ozil and Joe Willock or Ainsley Maitland-Niles should not be taking the same amount of cut. I would suggest uh, anybody who believes in doing the mor- moral thing, be it Ozil, Obama Yang, uh, or anybody on elevated wages, um, should be willing to step forward and cover the little guys within our, our mm. team and and to cover the employees. Otherwise, it's all hypocrisy. Similarly, on the Can I ask you a question before side. you move on? Why? Yeah. Why should they do that? Because it's the right thing. Because otherwise, we're not in this together. Why do? How do they earn their money? They earn their money from this club that is supported by people the world over, by broadcasting, by commercial revenues, all of which... To, all of which to some degree and some of which to a large degree have disappeared, they are paid because the supporters come along, the supporters watch, and the, because the supporters care about the employees of the club. It's their club. It's sure. the lifeblood of the club. Sure, I, I care they, about everybody, not just the employees of the club. I care I care about all human beings being taken care of and being able to survive and have a roof over their head and health care and, you know, I mean... L- labor sure, but, is not responsible but, for paying labor. That's just not their sure, job. But the circles, <laughs> w- but then there's no club. There's no us. Why? Why is there no club? No us? Because there, either there's we're a in this together. At the top of it, who could pay all these people until the end of time? Okay, let, That's who should pay. Sure, but sure, but let's come to the. Once you throw the billionaire in, you, you lose all sensible well, conversation. Why should I think. labor so, pay for him? Why should oh, they but, take him out? Why should he get a free? He has the money. They are okay, labor. But can we do? Can we? Can we? At, at least and I'm sorry, deal I got with too the heated club, the executives, <laughs> and the players because wh- whatever Stan does uh, so, so, is so its Paul, own can I distinguish something? If a player wants yeah. to donate some wages to a cause or even to other workers. I would, of course, support that. And I certainly think people who are wealthy in a time of need should consider how they can help voluntarily. Should management be able to require labor to give money back to management that management could easily simply take from themselves? Absolutely not. If a human being wants to help other human beings because they are good well, and kind. Can't. Paul, this isn't saying to the players, management can't. donate. There is a this t- is the club saying, well, give us back some money and we just need it because boo-hoo, we're poor. And they are not poor and they do not need it. But but Arsenal is a club that lives within its own means. Ooh, and the executives... This is hang a on, business ha- need. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, let okay, me yes, unfold yes, the yes, point. Yes. Let me unfold I, the I, point. I apologize. My bad. This is a self-financing club. That's the way it has worked. That is fundamental to the core of the way the way the club works. I personally like that. My issue is more with other clubs, with oligarchs, with the owners putting money in there. But let me let me leave the the ownership and and Stan's role for a second, because I don't think he should get off scot free. But within the club itself. There are responsible. Two hundred million of the wages are through the players. Huge chunk of it is through the best-paid players. And if there's a we in this, if there's a squad, if there's a team, if there's a belief that we're in this together in some 
from some standpoint, then it shouldn't be some anonymous donation from those who feel they should or shouldn't. It's absolutely appropriate for the clubs to go to the players as a group. The players stand up as a group. They have the PFA, they have representatives. So let's not pretend they all want to be treated as all as individuals, though that's maybe what it degrades to. It's absolute deferral is like uh, deferral doesn't do anything for anybody except help a little with cash flow, but it doesn't solve the problem. It, the problem still comes back to the club. If my company says to me, hey, Paul, would you like to be paid a month early in June? You know, I, I may not say yes, because in July I'm fucking screwed. So deferrals, deferral, but it doesn't solve the problem. Now, if you want to chat about Stan, that's fine. But Stan's Stan's got some big issues. All his money is in sports and entertainment. <laughs> so he's got a problem there or property, retail, all those kinds of things. So uh, I'm not trying to uh, y- you can get all riled up about Stan all you like, but I don't think he's going to be running around to the L.A. Uh, uh, what is it? The Rams uh, or any of his other clubs and throwing a bunch of money into them. He's going to say, guys, manage yourselves, work through it negotiate come up with a plan to keep your business on track you know he's borrowed a shitload of money along the way i i think it's way too easy of us to say oh well stan should just take his x billions i don't know my, how much he has on the sidelines but i certainly don't anticipate that's going to be the answer for arsenal so arsenal has to look at itself the executives the the uh playing staff the staff in general the supporters the fans come together it's totally reasonable for the the for Mesut Ozil, for Aubameyang to say, I'm paid because of football, because players come, because of sponsorship, and uh, I want this club to be successful, and I want our, our, our staff to be employed, and I want the club to come out and have a chance to push on in the next season, rather than be hamstrung for the next three seasons, while Chelsea, City, United, etc., etc. push forward because they they pull money out of nowhere. I mean, if there are further distances apart you can be than a pole, you know, opposite poles, that's how far apart we are in this. And I respect Good. how you've explained your position and I think everything you've said makes sense, but it doesn't co- connect to me and my worldview in any possible way. Um so I okay, struggle. But if we accept Stan isn't going to put money I in. I don't accept that. Well, I do not but, accept that, period. But you have to accept it because he's not going then, to then do it. Then the players should keep their fucking money. Keep every penny of it. They earned it. They bargained for it. They negotiated for it. Keep up with it. Keep it. I'll explain my position in a second because, uh, Paul, I think you've explained yours articulately and, and effectively. And I understand what you're saying. It's not that I think you've made a bad point or a point that is wrong. It just... I see it differently, and I'll explain in a moment, but Clive, why don't you break between the two of us? And again, I, I want to be clear, Paul. I'm not patronizing you. I'm not saying, like, good job patting you on the head. I think everything you said makes sense logically and is a point that I think a lot of people will agree with, and I don't, and it's not because I think it's dumb or wrong. It's just not how I see it. So I'll explain why, and hopefully people will have the patience to bear with me in that. Clive, why don't you come in here, though, for a second? Yeah, I, I, there's so many sides to this. I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong, but... I'll just break it down simply, right? Our business is run by revenue in versus revenue out. We've lost our revenue in. So we're looking at our revenue out column and we have a wage bill. 
Right, so we need to look at how we can cut that waste bill. Our, our income has disappeared, not just our income, but everyone's income has disappeared. We've lost our match day income, which is you know, probably the second highest in the Premier League. I mean, Smith Ramble's done a great piece in the last two days, which outlines all the numbers. Mm-hmm. Agreed, yeah. and, then, and then as a football player, you know, these these 0.11% of special human beings with special talent, and if you're really lucky, you get to a top club that can pay you this life-changing money, and they negotiate their contracts in good faith, and suddenly this has happened. I think, damn, I'm, I'm going to be retired. I will not be working again in, in five years' time, you know, for the rest of my life, potentially. This money is important to my family, to my family's family. And so it's, it's a natural reaction for players to internalise. What the, the problem with Arsenal is with this situation, in my opinion, is they try to fix too many things. They've tried to look ahead to try to get them to a situation to plan by by putting a waistcoat in. So from a club perspective, I can see it. Absolutely, I can see it. Do I agree with it? Well, I don't quite agree with it because it's not a complete picture. It feels as though the players are the first ones to pay a price when I think it should be a more of a collective picture. What are our board doing? What are our key wagers in the executive level doing? I know there's a potential relaxation of FFP coming, but it's not been relaxed yet. So the stand question can't be addressed. He can't pile money in because he's not allowed to pile money in. I will just when chime FFP, in to say I think that is convenient and that I think that everybody knows no, that no one's going to be prosecuted for that. I will say I will say that I hope... You know, I will say that, yeah, it may be convenient, and it's, it's the truth. And then when I think, you know, there's opportunity for him to pile money in, there are rumours he has put money in the last couple of years. I can't find that balance sheet, but there are rumours out there that he has facilitated some of the transfers in the last year and, give, and made sure they can actually happen since he become the sole owner. So there's opportunity there. And I think the most important thing out of all of this is we need to decomplex this a little bit. We're trying to fix too much with the with the player deal. But also the most important thing, and it's something that I listen to the manager on this, it's important what club comes out. The Paul's point is really, he's really search. He's searching for unity. He's searching for a club to be a club. It's very important the club don't just be, become opportunist to fix the ills of their rubbish contract negotiations over the last three, four years. The fact they've got very average players in the main on big money. On big money, they have a they have a wage bill which is not value. We're working towards trimming that down. The numbers are out there today. I'm sure they'll be different next year when it comes to wage bill because we removed a fair chunk off of the wage bill last year, and that process will, would have continued if the market was available this year. But we're not too sure it's going to actually happen. But it's the club's mismanagement that's highlighted these players. They, it's not their fault. It's not Callum Chambers' fault that he was earning the same money as Christian Eriksen last year. But that's the that's the facts, you know. So, and so it's not his fault. We paid him it. We gave it to him. We gave Mesut Ozil that contract. It's our fault we've mismanaged our finances. It's our fault we've mismanaged our recruitment and contracts renewal. And so there's a suspicion growing. The suspicion between the layers in the club is the thing that concerns me the most, because no club. We were just seeing some unity with the manager that we all believe in. We were just seeing that. This has come along. And what we can't see is a breakup between the layers, between the, the ownership, the fans, the players, which which basically make the club. Right? So so I think that's the key thing, Elliot. 
can we get that? Can we retain some form of unified front? And if that requires players to take a pay cut, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, if that requires the players to take a deferral, I'm okay with that. But the most important thing is the outcome. The process needs to be smarter, but the outcome needs to be that we are not a club that's broken. Because I truly believe we have a manager that can take us somewhere. But if we break ourselves as a club, we're going to lose something which on the sporting side, whenever it comes back, whether it's virtual or not, we need to hold on to this, what we're seeing going forward. Because the reason why we all love the game, we've gone through a few peaks and troughs recently, and we all sense there's a peak coming, and that momentum has been lost. But it can't be lost because we're now bickering over dollars and pounds at a time when we haven't got a collective front coming forward. And I think we all support Arsenal Football Club. You know, we don't support any specific aspect of the club. We support the whole club. And I think that being whole at the end of this is the most important thing. Yeah, I think you walk a very tight rope, a, a, very, a slippery slope, when your decision whether someone is labor or not is based not on whether they are in fact labor, but how much they make. You're labor or you're not. Now, I'm going to come back to that point in a moment because we've frozen Tim out way too long. So, Tim, tell me why I'm wrong as well so that then when I express my opinion, I will know exactly from all of your responses how wrong and stupid I should feel. <laughs> I uh, This actually won't take that long um, because I, I fundamentally I agree with you, Elliot. I think um, labor is labor and um, even if it's very well paid. But... Um, Look, the reason the labour is very well paid is because it brings a lot of money in. And so, um, you know, you can say that, that the, like, they're well paid for a reason, right? They're well paid because they bring shitloads of money in. And, and obviously, like, I understand what clubs are saying at the moment in terms of, well, yeah, we're a high revenue business. That doesn't mean we're a high profit business because the more, like, the broadcasters give us, the more we end up giving to agents and players. And I, and I get all of that. But um, that's that, maybe not so much agents, but players. That is where it should go. That is where stuff like broadcast money, gate receipt money, they should be the biggest recipients of that money because they are the reason it exists. They are the reason we pay for those things. So it's it's right that that, that but they when take that the disappears. Bulk of that. Shouldn't they take a hit? Well, no, because yeah, yes. they never well, do. If you sign well, a player to a terrible contract, <coughs> Mesodozo, <coughs> you don't get it back. If football became less popular, you don't get it back. You don't get back what you negotiate with labor. But they to- don't have to do anything. This is what they agree to do. And they should so, agree. They don't have let's to, let Tim but finish. they should agree to do it. Because as Tim outlined, the reason they got paid all that money was on the belief, shared belief, that people would be showing up, that football would be played, they are that commercial the revenues. Keep the money owed to them, presumably so that money can go to other people in the club. And I would submit to you that if the players the say no, keeping all that the money club because will the stadiums still aren't filled. give it to those. Hang on. I, I'll finish that point in a minute. But Tim, Tim had like two sentences and we cut him off. Tim, finish, please. Yeah, yeah. But but I also like, I, I think, where Paul's coming from is perfectly valid as well in terms of they get paid to play football and there is no football <laughs> at the moment. So they're basically being paid to do nothing. 
um, at the moment. And and look, that that's why companies are furloughing people, right, and laying people off because they're basically saying well, we haven't got any work for you anymore. And that is the case for footballers. They do not that there is no work for them to do. There are no games, so it it kind of does put like a bit of a, but obviously because they're massively high earners they can't be furloughed and clubs won't lay them off because once all this starts up again they don't want to have to it's more expensive to go and buy them all back or have a big free-for-all and see if you can buy loads of footballers because they've all been like releasing their contracts and, and i think ultimately right my sense is genuinely that most of the players wants to do the right thing we've seen that with the kind of with the nhs um uh thing that the pfa or, or that the players agreed because obviously this is all very very complicated and like different players earn different amounts of money and you know chopping in 12.5 percent of salary means a lot more to bakayo saka than it does to meza Erzil and etc etc and it, it all becomes very granular but I, I believe the players want to do the right thing. But what it sounds like is they want to make sure they want to make the contribution, which I, I think is I think Paul's right on that respect. And I think they should. I don't think you can force them. Um, that's where I agree with you, Elliot. I don't think you can say, well, um, you know, you've all got to do this because that that's not really the spirit of the thing anyway. But, and but I really what? That. What, so what Tim, the Tim, players what are, are trying then, to do is trying to make sure the money goes to the staff, which which I think yeah. is yeah. exactly the right thing, and not to the owners, which yeah. which again I, I I completely agree with. But does that not lead to what I was talking about, Tim, about the mistrust? When you yeah. have this, is this a, suddenly there's a mistrust? So I, I project my feelings. Think well, actually, that's being highlighted the gap between. The trust they don't trust the board. They don't trust yep. their reasonings. They don't trust where this money's going. They want to control it, and that to me tells me there's something there's something else happening there in the yep. background. The fact that we we're the ones that have made you know we got clever and made our cut. No one else is having a cut. We're having a cut, and we made it performance related based on where we yeah. ended up in the league. So we've complicated the situation. We've added variables and then asked people to tick or cross. And you can think, hold on, how are you going to get unanimous decisioning based on this complex variable around performance-related pay, a cut, depending on where you finish in the league? Players just go, sod that, I'll speak to my agent. They don't sign that, don't do that. Just yeah. sit, on your, sit on your hands. We don't know when we're playing yet. We don't know when we're training yet. The longer this goes on, the greater chance you're going to keep more of your money. Don't do nothing. That's just, now we're, we're seeing layers separating, yeah. division. And because like also, the, the, from the point of view of the players, like they will be saying at the moment, well, you don't even know what your losses are yet. We don't know when we're coming exactly. back. We don't know, like, you don't even know how much you've lost. So I, I'm, I'm certainly with them that this looks pretty it's opportunistic. Fluid. It's extremely and, and like say, opportunistic. Let's be clear. Yeah. And like you say, when you introduce the performance side of it, well, a lot of these players will be saying, well, hang on, I get a bonus anyway if we qualify for the Champions League. So what you're effectively saying now is you're taking away my bonus, but you're not you're not saying that in as many words. And and I, I completely agree. I think this looks like, you know, oh, maybe on the back of this, there's an opportunity to manage some of our really poor decisions. And, it's and, cheap and this is PR where I come down on the expense of labor. Side. It's cheap PR. I'm sorry, Tim, was that your final point there? 
Yep. It's yep, cheap. Was, yeah. It's cheap PR at the expense of labor. Look, there's a lot of ways companies can raise money. Anybody know what interest rates are right now? Anybody? 0.01%. Yeah, zero. They're fucking nothing. You can borrow money. You can you can issue shares. You can do an equity raise. I'm sorry, you don't get to be 100% owner anymore, but you raise millions of dollars and you give that to people to keep sustaining the club. But there are other ways you can... Mortgaging your no, future. it is not, not at 0.1% interest. It is free you fucking money. You still gotta pay it back. So... What are you talking about? It's free. It's it, free money. If I pay for 2020 with a loan, I got to pay it back in 2021, 22, 23. You can't, it's you, not free money. It is free money. You just have to make the carrying costs, which are nothing. You still got to pay it you back. You don't have to pay it back. That's not how companies borrow. What I are mean, you talking about? That's not how companies borrow money. <laughs> they they issue debt, too. That's not how they... These are These aren't... Uh, credit. These are credit facilities. Ozil is earning money for not playing football and not so, having and, and people so in the injured, stadium. So do injured and he players. Leaves they the earn club, a paycheck in the summer. Ars and then so Arsenal pays back the money, basically taking money out of what they could have paid future well, players. Of sucks. course it's future sucks money. It does suck. I mean, here's the reality. We're all in it together. You, you, we should all okay. take a bit so, of a haircut. So should, should Maitland-Niles take a haircut? Yes, a smaller one than Met. Well, they're asking 12% from everybody. Excuse me, how much does Maitland-Niles earn for playing football? Should Emil Smith-Rowe take a haircut? Million? What, what if we have, what about, the, what about the, the, the kids who just signed their first professional contract who make 80 grand a year? Should they take a 12% hit? No. What about the ones who make 60 grand a year? Should they take a 12% no. hit? Should we do 20% for the 10 million guys and 40% for the 30 yeah, million suppose, guys? Suppose it's we, a slippery we don't know those slope. Details. No, but we don't. Yeah, let's, let's the, but the first step, we, we don't the know those thing details, we should recognize really. is we assume it's acrimonious between players and clubs. Because and the club's taken advantage. And using it as a PR opportunity hang, to hang say, on. oh, the players what don't want to give money back. Excuse me. What kind of irresponsible club wouldn't approach the players at this point and say, let's begin a discussion. Here are our thoughts on it. It doesn't seem that acrimonious at this point it's, it may be in two or three weeks way. time the players have taken a position that's consistent with the other players in other clubs that are in different situations so first we got to see how it plays out a little bit maybe they're not a million miles apart maybe it'll all turn to a shower of shit but it's not unreasonable it's responsible for a business in which 70 percent of its expense is player money or 60 percent is player wages to bring up the topic and the conversation because it's not going to get resolved in one hit right, so let me at ask this a question. point. Let's say the players say no. And yeah. so they say no. And the club wants uh, to... And remember, uh, that's fine. Uh, an so equal say no. number of players are open to the idea sure. of a pay cut as are against it. So it's not completely ridiculous they're, they're here. Absolutely. I think that people who are well off have a responsibility to give back. I don't think this is how they sure. should do it, but I think they have a responsibility to give back. I think this is labor having their money taken at a weak moment by management because management sees an opportunity to get money back from labor labor means labor are people who work for a living and whatever amount of money you make th these people work for a living at playing football and they are paid by someone much richer than them and an organization much better capitalized than them and the with club, much greater resources the club is owned by kse so let me ask you a question if the players say no and kse decides we want to keep all of our employees on and continue to pay them 100%. KSE can do that, and there are a variety of ways they can fund that. Choosing to take that money back from one segment of their labor is a choice. 
And it is a choice that they would make because they feel they have labor with their backs to the wall a little bit. It's a PR, it's bad PR if they say no. They're not playing right now, so people aren't going to be as sympathetic to them. It's a chance to get money back. Let me ask you this. So Mesut is going to say, okay, take $10 million from me because I'm not playing. What is the size he's of the check? Say, you know, take, well, hang, on, say, hang on, hang on. You said that say, we're self-sustaining. What check is Stan going to write? If Mesut Ozil's giving 12% back, what check is, what's 12% of Stan's earning? Let's get well, 12% let of his. let me explain to you, Elliot. Sure. Mesut Ozil is losing no money at the moment. Stan Cranky is all lo- already losing money because his his money is out of his sports business and its profit and its revenue generation and its value and it has taken a massive hit. So to to have the idea that this hasn't cost Stan Cranky anything is naive and says you're so caught up in capital you don't understand how capitalism works. You're so caught up in worrying about who's an employee, who's what's your term for it, labor, labor. It, it is hurting Stan. He's probably shitting himself. Now, don't I, get me wrong. I assure I you he is cry. not. He's fine. And he can get Look, all the money he needs well, for free. say that. But uh, to, to say that this does not impact Stan and that he's fine and he this has cost him nothing is naive. Now, I don't give a shit about Stan. Um, but the reality is the what club is self-standing. The, pardon? What does it cost him? Uh, profit. Where? Revenue, How? value of his of his, his shareholdings. His, his assets are going to be worth just as much in short order. No, they're not. We've we've already talked about how this will be a reevaluation of pretty much everything within football. We uh, is the ne- the next go round with the broadcasting. You think they're going to walk into that with the oh, let's up it by another thirty percent? Well, look, we'll wind up going down a road we don't necessarily that's want a, that's to. A but good, you, that's yeah. a good point, actually, and this is another reason why the players potentially are holding out because they know what's what's coming. They know that you know, Arsenal will take around three, four million a game from from match day revenue that's going to be reduced for a year and a half, maybe potentially. Let's just 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 think worst case scenario. So they know that the next time they're going to negotiate a contract, wherever they go, they're probably not going to get better wages than they're on right now. So it's very hard for them to to think that they're the only ones paying. I do think the club need to think about a unified message. I really do. I don't like the way this story is broke because one side of the story is broke. So we're thinking this is the club's priorities because that's a natural thing to do. It does feel a bit Arsenal, if I'm honest with you, the way we've approached this. It feels a bit of the new Arsenal. We want to be a bit clever. We want to be the ones that are looking further ahead. I do think in a, in a couple of months' time, when we realise that we're not going to have people in ground, there's going to be more people thinking, how can we plan a business unless we understand what we're paying out the door and understand when we can, when we have to pay it back, for example. So there does need to be some movement. Otherwise, there will be no football club. You know, it's as simple as that. Potentially, the, you know, the whole thing could be under threat. The whole league integrity could be under threat. It won't just be, you know, clubs like Arsenal, for example. You know, we look at the top six revenue and it's way above the rest of the league. But there's a lot of teams in that league that are in a desperate state. And Arsenal should be one of the people that are leading the way on the best way to approach this as a so-called Bank of England football club. But actually, I can't help but feel 
you look a little bit opportunistic the way this has broke. What do you think and about I the fact hope, that they went to the players and didn't go to their representatives and tried to keep their agents out of it? I, I don't know. I, I don't know that side of things. I just, I, we haven't got, I would like to see from the top down a message come down about what we're doing as a club, a unified message, a number of things that we're doing to support this period, support other people in the club, support the, the institutions. And they've done a lot of things, some little small messages about what they're doing in the local community, really good things. They've not really highlighted it. This is, this is what's been highlighted. We need to own our message, a much more collective message. This is what we're doing locally. This is what we're doing for the National Health Service. This is what, as a club, we're doing from a board level. And this is what our players are doing to support other people in the club on lower wages. And get hold of this. Control it. Control the message. Because right now, the reason why two good friends have a little chip at each other is because that message is not controlled. It's been sent out in a way to cause exactly what we've just seen on this podcast. A discussion and argument point amongst fans. And I, I think the club need to be much smarter than that. And what disappoints me, they're not. And my worry is I don't want Arteta and people that I really care about in the club to turn around and say, well, what sort of club is this? Does that mean I want us to be better than this, to be classy than this? I don't want us to be doing you know, doing this way around because I've, again, listened to what David Ornstein, for example, he says Arteta is firmly closer to the players on this. So we need to be better and realise what we have and who's important and make sure we're unified and we come out of a unified front which suits the key people in the club and make sure the fans don't look as stupid as the Spurs and Liverpool fans looked a week or so ago. I just, I can't help myself. When I see a, a crisis that leads to a downturn in revenue for organizations, it seems to me that while on the one hand those organizations are getting bailed out left and right, getting access to cheap money, getting all kinds of opportunities to take good care of themselves, the immediate response is always to use it as an opportunity to claw back money from labor, to use it as a way to re, uh, rebalance the responsibility, a way to pass the burden on to labor. And I certainly think that basically saying to the players, well, if you want all these people to be able to stay employed, you guys need to give back is opportunistic in light of the fact that there are other ways that that can happen. And the simple proof of that is that if the players choose not to give this money back, whatever you know it amounts to, let's say you have a 200 million wage bill and you get 12% of it back, so you're getting you know 22 million, 24 million pounds, okay? If you didn't get that 24 million pounds, it's a pittance. It is a pittance. 24 million pounds isn't even the transfer fee for a good midfielder, okay? It is a pittance. And it is an amount that the club has a number of ways to come up with and a number of ways to, to inject into its, its wage bill to keep those people employed. But choosing to go around the players' designated representatives to sort of corner them at a time when it, it paints them as having to have a responsibility for keeping these other people employed is opportunistic. And I think that we make a dangerous decision when we distinguish based on amount earned whether someone deserves to be viewed as you know a, a worker or not. Because there are certainly people at the club who are employees of the club, not footballers, employees, who make more money than some of the footballers. And I'd question whether they're being asked to give 12%. What is Raul's deferment? What is Raul being asked to give back? 
I would imagine nothing. What about V9? What is V9 being asked to give back? Well, it is an assumption. I'd love to know. I think it's important. And it's not just that. Again, this is where I do think Stan comes in. It is all the way up and down the chain of an organization. There, there are ways that companies can fund themselves. There are ways they can solve problems. There are ways they can do things. And when we say how much 12% of the wage bill really winds up being, I would question whether it has to come from the players. And you can say, look, well, they're not playing. When they're injured, they're not playing. When it's summer, they're not Sam's playing. Sam's going to lose more than 12.5% of his earnings and, and this I, year, and so I don't, don't care. And I don't care. Because, see, that's the other thing that I think is different. Everybody gets a haircut. When you sign up to be a footballer, one of the risks you take is you might break an ankle or like Diaby and never play again. When you sign up to be an asset owner, one of the risks you take is that you will take losses on your assets. So, I mean, the, these are things. And thi he is. And he is. But that doesn't mean that you're, to mitigate your losses, you should ask labor to voluntarily give you some money back. Again, they have a contract to pay him a certain amount. It doesn't say when times get hard, let me pay you less so I lose less money. But the that discussion is not the isn't what does the contract contain. It's what should people do, yeah, Marley. Give money to the NHS. Give money to a local food bank. Give if they want. By the way, if they want to give back some salary to the club for and, and contractually designate it. See, because that's the thing. If I'm giving my money back, I'd say I'm not going to take it in deferment of this or that. I want a contract that says who this money is going to, and I want to see that it goes there. But just letting the club reduce your salary 12% because of hard times, to me, is a bad way to do things. And it is an opportunistic move by the club. And Paul, I'll let you have the last word, but then I think we should take 10 seconds to, to criticize Spurs, because we can all get on board with that, and then, and then call it. And I do want to apologize for my part for getting heated. I think I am wound up because I do see things happening in my own country where... Workers are struggling to be given the money they need to survive while the Fed is printing money for asset holders to, to buy ETFs and buy junk bonds. And there's a $500 million bailout of, of companies that is going to have no oversight over it here. And we are privatizing profits and socializing losses like we always do. And then we're worried if we give $1,200 to a worker, it'll disincentivize them to work. We take far more of a hard look at how workers behave in, in times of crisis and how they get taken care of than we do um, how, how asset holders behave and how they're taken care of. And I think society is set up to serve those people so much better. And, and I can understand someone listening to this saying, I don't understand how you're going to equate that with Mesodozo making all the money in the world. But I do, again, think when you are paid to do a job, you are at some level labor. And whether we draw the line at $35 million a year or 350000 a year or 35000 a year, we should understand it is the asset holders, the asset holding class that has access to a lot of resources and that whenever they go after money from labor, we should be skeptical of it and, and examine whether it is something they have to do or whether it is something they are doing opportunistically. So that's my soapbox. I apologize. I got way too worked up for this. But who says we can't have a heated debate in the midst of no football? Paul, I apologize, certainly, if I came across as aggressive with you. I always Not enjoy debating Not you. So I, I will give you the last word on this. And and for, for my part, certainly, I, I obviously respect your your opinion as being intelligent, thoughtful, and, and having a lot of merit, of course. Likewise. And I, I hope you don't... Basically... Uh, I guess I'd say if the club is something, then we're in this together. 
Now, where does the club start and end? It needs to include the fans. It needs to include the executives, the ownership, uh, the players, the playing staff. And those who are able to, and the players are certain among that, and the executives are among that, need to put back in a part of it. We're talking about 12.5%, something that apparently as many players thought was reasonable as unreasonable. And I would suspect that a number of those who said no at this point is because it's solidarity with the rest of the league. It's not the same at Sheffield United as it is at Arsenal. So uh, if you're Hector Bellerin and you're representing the players, then you have to look a little broader than just what works for you within Arsenal. You're also talking to your colleagues, your your peers at other clubs and saying, well, actually, I can't break lines at this stage. I can't say yes to 12.5% if that means I'm going to hurt players who are further down the league yeah, on point. smaller salaries. So I, it, it's, it's a difficult conversation at, at this stage because we don't know where the fault lines are. We don't know where the lines are at all, how much of the disagreement is on principle across the league as opposed to at Arsenal for individual players. You would like to think that the players would say, you know what, we know how we make our money. We make it from football, from from fans come to the stadiums, and they're not, from broadcasting revenue, from commercial revenue, and so, some some chunk of that will be impacted, and that will hurt the club and hurt our prospects going forward. And the executives would this, see the same. And and those who can would say 12.5%, fuck, I wouldn't even notice it. Mesut Ozil, Obama Yang, whoever, they won't fucking notice course, whether totally, they lost 12.5%. I totally, 12 agree. I totally and that we, we agree there, Clive. Minus the tax. It's probably 6% of what they would see. I, I totally, it, so, please understand, just so, you, so we're yeah. clear. It is an issue of principle for me. It is not an issue of the money. And I do think as you move down through the squad, there are going to yeah. be guys for whom, you know, my wife just got hit with a 10% cut and that was yeah. so she could avoid a layoff and there were massive layoffs in her company. Like there are there are people who it, who it hits harder and people who it doesn't, but I still don't think that should change whether we are skeptical of and critical of and, and have... You know what? You know what it just seems like the Stan. Don't you think, though? As I understand your point on Stan, but as soon as you throw him into the the argument, it's like the argument is lost at that point. And it, I don't know why. I don't. That's a good I'm not point. Can I this, clarify something? Uh, yeah. When I say Stan, I think what I mean is KSE. That that the organization KSE that owns Arsenal has ways to has ways to finance its operation beyond clawing money back from the wages it pays to its employees. And, you know, we can argue whether those things are good for the club or not. But again, I, I just want us all always to not be credulous when a club says, well, we need to take from these well-played payers to uh, pay these less well-paid paid employees. Because while that is a very... Um, easy argument to be sympathetic to on its face because, hey, the players are so rich and they have big necklaces and they drive Lamborghinis that are shiny... What we kind of miss in that is that we are letting off the hook quite easily the corporate entities and asset they holding class. don't have class. to be the same things, do they? I mean, 12.5% from players just doesn't seem unreasonable. Now, onto the executives. Now, onto KSE. Mm. 
Yeah, well, it needs it needs to be a a layered approach. At the moment, we've been thrown one layer, and hence our reaction to that layer. And I think the club have been they haven't managed the message appropriately. Well, Clive and, and so, Tim, I'm I'm sorry, I side. But is you guys the message manageable given how the media works? I mean, are we right. are we just jumping into? A theory that there's a major division, and maybe I just haven't followed yeah. enough of the coverage. No, I but, think we are. We can't. Can we? We can only do that, Paul, based on what's been thrown at us so far. Because there are um, there are things that haven't been forwarded to us. Does that mean? You know what's interesting, guys? Yeah. You know what's there really interesting? Gaps. I think you guys can agree with this. What's really interesting, and I think why I have such a visceral reaction to it in a way. In American sports, you have all the players are unionized, and so all of these things are collectively bargained on behalf of all the players. And so when something is agreed to, you kind of tend to say, well, it came out, it was a byproduct of, you know, bilateral agreement in good faith between two parties that were sort of equally represented. And because you don't have that unionization here, and because you have players sort of being targeted for a policy with some social pressure and PR pressure without the benefit of collective bargaining and without the benefit of the representatives, that gets my dander up a little and ticks a lot of my worry boxes. That's my worry box well, is also a thing that is, my wife what, ticks from time to time. But you, you know what I mean? Does that make sense that like the lack a of a collectively point. bargained agreement here is is relevant, I think? I think it's a Tim, really are you awake? By the way, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I man. Really I, I've totally and, hijacked and, this. I apologize. And Tim may know more on this than me, but I think this has highlighted the failings of the PFA massively because they are the players union and they have been crap they've been slow the players had to take charge of their own agreement to to with the players together with the captains getting together the pfa was slow taking advice then maybe this this will be a byproduct of all this that there will be a more unionized approach from the premier league and what we're really seeing here is potential i mean the potential for the game going forward is just massive we're going to see, I think we're going to see a real internalization, a separation of the Premier League from, from the PFA, having its own organization, mm. its own union, its own a much sharper agreement of going abroad with our abroad revenue, our streaming. Everything's going to change. Do you think people are going to sit there losing this amount of money and not have a reaction across the globe? No chance. Netflix is coming. It's all coming. It's all coming. Watching football via an app, buying your own season ticket. Go onto your phone, season ticket, done, watch your game, watch all the things you need to watch. It's coming. There's no people are going to sit there and lose this amount of money through no, 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 not their own fault, just a unique circumstance once in our lifetimes and not be a reaction. The game is going to change to something we, we barely recognize in the next two, three years. Mm. Tim, do you want a final word on this so that I can just stop talking forever? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, the point about the, the, the PFA is, is very, very good. Like, <laughs> you know, with um, one pay deferral I would be considering where I a Premier League player right now is is my subs to the PFA, <laughs> um, as is. Um, although, I mean, I think uh, the head of the PFA, Gordon Taylor, is kind of, you know, they've been trying to get rid of him for a little while. Um, and I think this will expedite that situation. But I mean, if you were if you were one of the players right now and you're like, you're literally the whole fucking reason I'm a member of a, this union is so you can like sort this kind of thing. And we all recognize this is a massive, unprecedented situation, but this is your job. And we've had to collectively take the decision to cut you out. Mm. It's almost like, um, you know, when like when like a team stops playing for its manager, 
you know it's just a bit like what the fuck are we paying you for like what like why are we a member of this union when we've just collectively basically bypassed you all um but it, it's 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 really really difficult and i think it's going to take some time but unfortunately i think where i do feel for the players here a bit is the optics um of this because the longer that they go on full pay whether it's their fault or not, or whether they're trying to do something like the, the, the statement that was kind of put out last week by the players um, when they kind of bypassed the PFA and said, we're going to give this much to an NHS charity. I mean, that, that was a, like a rushed statement and we all understand why they did it. And I, I bet you my bottom dollar that the logistics of that are weeks and weeks and maybe even months away from actually being realized because that's that's a very complicated you know payment plan that they've committed to that's going to take some working out but they put the statement out because they felt under so much pressure to do so and i and and that's where i kind of feel for the arsenal players here and i i feel something like that might be coming down the line yeah well we'll see i I mean I, I think, look, anytime, let's let's not be naive. Everything is PR. I mean, when remember going back to the Emery and Ozil thing and Ozil posting social media stuff and then getting pulled back into the squad. So like, we, we, if anyone should know PR and sort of um, these kind of surreptitious PR moves, it, it should be football fans because we're inundated with it constantly. You know, players leaking things to the press and, you know, their agent has a buddy in the press who puts a story out about a transfer rumor and the clubs briefing things to the press when they know they're going to lose a player. And so we should all be aware of this. And I certainly think that complicating this whole story is the fact that with it out in the public, there's just never going to be a lot of sympathy for millionaires that don't want to give a few millions back. But there is a difference between giving it back voluntarily because you're a good person to a cause of your choice and having the person who pays you claw it back into their coffers out of a claim that they need it to distribute it a certain way. And I just think we should be mindful that those are different things. Now, and yeah. and just like a really quick point yeah, on that please. as well. Players who um, I listened to the the David Ornstein and um, Mark Chapman podcast, and they interviewed uh, Phil Bardsley, who plays for Burnley, and he was talking about you know he was saying stuff like, look, I I do charitable things, I do stuff for charity, and I've never spoken about it before, but at the moment I kind I'm in this uncomfortable situation where I feel compelled to because there's this big spotlight on us and he's a bit like I've I've never and you know every, and of course it's like this never ending bluff where you say oh I don't want to talk about this and everyone goes yeah right of course you don't but and that's a really uncomfortable position because you can't win and and that's the situation that a lot of players are in at the moment a lot of them will have made private donations both in this country in their own countries yeah. And they won't want to talk about that, but this whole situation means they might have to, and then people are going to object to that when they do. Yeah, of course. And I mean, what if you found out that the players agreed to this, and then by virtue of them agreeing to this, Vinay Venkatesham and, and Raul Sinlehi and Edu kept all their salaries exactly as they were? Would that sit well? Again, I, I don't want I to go down um, the... Yeah, go ahead, sorry. 
I was going to say, I think some of it is about us and how we view footballers. Those working class guys that made good, that's a special talent that we really wish we had, but they are special and they've, and they've made good. They come from backgrounds similar to us. We don't question some of the people in the industry. We don't question some of the people that are in ridiculous amounts of money. As far as I'm concerned, and maybe other people will say, no, they earned it. In other industries, you know, we've seen, for example, Richard Branson sort of jump on the bailout, even though he's worth X billion a year of dollars or pounds, for example. We, we question that, but we don't question it as much as we do <laughs> Phil Barsley. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where he's earning, because of where he comes from. So it's about us as well. And that's why the club needs to be smarter. They need to be smarter about how they approach this. I'll I, I say it again. What's the most important thing to me? That what comes out of all this and what do we look like as a club and what's our perception and what are the key people in the club that we know that are a big part of the future? What do they feel about the club? And so how we act will will define that. Sure. And I'm, that's, the, that's why I'm watching really closely. And the reason why it's sort of funny, guys, because let's be honest, right? This whole idea of like, well, if they give back some of their wages, that's also good for the club long term. They'll be able to buy better players. They'll be able to be more competitive. Sure, that's true. But can I make a, a sort of obvious point? That was true a year ago. If Mesut Ozil voluntarily took a 50% wage cut because he just wasn't playing very well, that would have been better for the club. But no one expected him to do it. Um, you know, and I, I believe me, I, I get the false dichotomy there. I understand why it's, you know, or, or false, um, not dichotomy, the opposite, the false where they're the same thing. <laughs> but, but you know, it's just the point. The equivalence. Like, the false equivalence, right. But at, at any point, any player, you see this in the NFL a lot. Like Tom Brady won a lot of, uh, of Super Bowls at, with the New England Patriots, taking less than the maximum contract he could have so they could have bought more players. You always have the option to do that. We, we've run 90 minutes during the coronavirus talking about football issues when there's no football, and we didn't even get to laugh at Spurs. The good news is, it means we can save laughing at Spurs for the next episode we do this week. So we'll just do another episode this week, and we'll laugh at Spurs. I think just as a final point, we can all say, Spurs really fucked this up, and it's funny watching them try to backpedal. Uh, is that fair enough, guys? Quick summary? So say all of us. So say Amen. we all. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I'm going to leave it with Paul first. He's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. And Paul, as always, like when we lock horns, um, I, I learn a lot. I get a totally different perspective, and I appreciate it. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for that. Likewise. Look, I respect your opinion, and annoyingly, you're annoyingly right quite often, so... Yeah. Well, I'll leave it at that. And, and that is an opinion few people will agree with. <laughs> Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner and also at sympathyformillionaires.com, apparently, is where I can be found. But but not sympathy for billionaires. Can we draw a line there? I'm not going to keep going. In any event, thanks for hanging with us, everybody. I hope you're doing okay and, and getting by. And uh, I know we're all experiencing this in different ways, but uh, if these 90 minutes of hearing me yell and scream in any way helped, then uh, you may have a bigger problem than we thought. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 20, COVID-19. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.